Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm presents Bullet Catcher, Season 2, Episode 12. A long time coming. You know it's a trap, right? Nax says. Probably. The three of us, myself, Mal, and Nack, are gathered in Isvardo. The iron stove cooking off the chill cutting through the thin panes. Nack paces the floor, unable to keep still. Mal lies on the bed, her eyes mostly closed, watching. I'm curled up, with my knees pressed against my chest, on the wood bench. Sit down, I tell Nack, but he just goes on pacing like he doesn't hear me. It's definitely a trap, he says, almost to himself. Why else would he let himself be followed? Why else would he just hand you that information? It'll make one lick a difference. I intend to meet him. But that's crazy, he says, turning and crouching before me. That's crazy, he repeats. Mal, tell her she's crazy. Mal's eyes slide open. There's the faintest hint of a smile playing on her lips. Finally, one of you ain't being a coward. Nack's jaw hangs open. And when he speaks next, he sounds exhausted, defeated, hopeless. Emma, is this really worth dying for? Hell yes. That's what I think. That's what I have thought ever since I lost Lobo and Cass. But something in Nack's voice makes me hesitate. Makes the words get all tangled up on my tongue. Hell yes! Mal intervenes from the other side of the room. There ain't no doubt in the girl's mind. Nax stands and kicks over his stool. Why don't you let Emma answer for her own damn self? Yes. The word drifts out of my mouth like smoke and hangs in the air between Nack and me. A small, quiet, toxic word. A rejection. Nack is shattered. He stands there in the middle of the room, not looking at anything, a blank spot on the floor where his gaze has come to rest. You want to help the girl? Mal says. Then help us figure out a way to get her in and out of the building without getting herself shot full of holes. It takes a moment for Nack to start working again. And then he looks at me and says, 
Very well. Let's make sure we get you out alive. If only so I have the chance to yell at you for putting me through hell when this is all said and done. I can't keep myself from smiling. Just a little, imagining the moment when this is all behind us and Nack is yelling at me something awful. And I reach out and take his hand and say as sweetly as I can muster, fair enough. That night, lying in bed with the moon casting silver light through the windows, so bright it keeps me from sleeping, my thoughts drift back to Nico. Back in Las Pistolas, he would rule a room just by walking into it. He'd sit in the corner of one of his saloons, his sycophants clutching close to him as though he were a fire and they were freezing. But today, he looked so anonymous, just another man at the bar. And stranger still, he seemed nearly content to blend in. And wasn't there something different in the way he spoke to me? The way he looked, a weariness, a softness, a regret, maybe? And what about Knack? Poor Knack. With him, it feels as if I have some added responsibility not to get myself killed. For his sake, for the injury it would do him. My chest tightens. What a strange thing it would be to live for someone else. How frightening and brave a thing it is to draw breath for another person. Could I be that to someone? Could someone be that for me? I turn over in bed and squeeze my eyes closed. What does any of this matter anyway? Because I know as well as Knack that there's no way I'm getting out of this alive. The night of the performance is the coldest I've known. Our breath freezes to our faces. Icicles hang from the med's beards. As night falls, a caravan of gunslingers arrive to escort us to the grounds, and we all pile into our wagons and follow them. Mouse sits beside me on the crowded bench. Her eyes are closed, but she's not sleeping. A week ago, she was on her deathbed. Now, in the last day or so, she's been moving around nearly as well as she ever had. She gets winded easier, and once or twice I've watched as all the color drains from her face. But just as quickly, the blood comes back and she steadies herself again. These episodes are hard to watch without wincing. Stop your staring, child, she says, her eyes still closed. I ain't dying anytime soon. I'm not worried. You are. It's your nature. We make our way slowly toward the Capitol building. Braziers burn along the sides of the road, lighting our way. When we arrive at the gates, the campus is lit up so bright it feels like day. The guards and the coach driver exchange a few words, and the gates swing open. Just like that, we are inside. To one side of the grounds, a large amphitheater has been erected. The stands are already half full of gunslingers, and more are streaming down the aisles. The braziers do a lot to chase away the cold. A table longer than a city block stands before one wing of the Capitol building, behind which servers in white uniforms stand ready to load up any gunslinger's plate. 
As we make our way around the back of the amphitheater, I watch the food servers and am relieved to see them moving around pretty much unchecked through several of the many service entrances lining the ground floor of the building, because that's how I plan on getting in undetected. The first act is to start in the next half hour, and since we are scheduled to go on last, there's plenty of time to help the irregulars set up. The wagons swing around back, where what seems like a whole town of performers have set up temporary camps, warming up, fitting costumes, applying makeup. We carve out a small plot for ourselves, some distance from the back of the stage, and start unloading gear. By the time we're through setting up, the first act is just finishing, the climax punctuated by applause and whistling from the raucous crowd of gunslingers. I'm busy rooting around in one of the costume crates, looking for my server's uniform, when someone taps me on the shoulder. When I turn, it's Knack, holding a satchel wrapped in brown paper. Looking for this? I smile and take it from him. You were holding on to this just so you'd have an excuse to talk to me, weren't you? I was going to track you down regardless, he says, to wish you luck. I won't need it. We all need all the luck we can get all the time. So until you get back, I want you to hold on to my luck too, in case you need it. I don't think it works like that. Sure it does. My mother gave me her luck before she passed, and now I'm doing the same to you. That's luck enough for three people. I can't help but smile because of Knack, trying his damnedest to be cheerful even though he thinks he's never going to see me again. And as soon as he sees that first glimmer of a smile from me, he points and says, There it is. There what is, I say, swatting away his finger. That bit of the Southland. It does me good on a night like this. And then he leans forward and kisses me, just as the band on stage starts playing. Something slow at first, with plenty of strings, and then a drum that beats louder and louder, so low it feels like it's running up through my feet into my body, to my lips, and into Knack. And then when it's done, Knack looks at me and says, Well, how about that? And I know he felt the same thing. I clear my throat and say, I should probably go get changed. He smiles sadly. Go on then. I'll be seeing you. I like a story that will take me to extremes. And nothing says extreme quite like The Last City, a new Wondery podcast available now. Set in 2072, the city of Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image, which, given its promise of being a miraculous green haven in a climate-ravaged world, shouldn't be too hard to sell but things are not always as perfect and shiny as we'd like to believe. When she stumbles upon a dark secret that could lead to the downfall of Pura's existence if revealed, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Thank you. 
Do you like science fiction? I'm Carrie Bechet, and if you loved movies like Arrival or Interstellar, then you're going to want to check out my podcast, Hypothetical. On Hypothetical, we tell speculative sci-fi stories interwoven with real science. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get podcasts. All around the back of the stage, small tents for changing have been erected, and after some searching, I find an empty one and duck inside. The ground is covered in a thin layer of straw, and I quickly undress and change, shivering all over for the cold. I stand there in my uniform, working up the nerve to do what comes next. Truth is, I've never thought past the moment of killing Miko. I suppose I always do that. Hyper-focus on a moment or idea, and not the things that come after. Consequences be damned. What will life be like without Nico in it? Even those years I thought him dead, his absence was so great that it was almost like him being there. The ghost of him as vivid as the genuine article. But after tonight, it'll all be different. Because I'll have been the one to kill him. And I'd be lying if I said there wasn't a part of me that hopes it'll be the other way around. Just so I won't have to go on living with what I've done. The chaos backstage makes for good cover, and I move through the different troops of performers, completely unseen. Near the stage, in a crowd of dancers readying to go on, a fat gunslinger with his shirt half unbuttoned and his hat hanging from a cord around his neck, paws at some unfortunate dancer, while the rest of her troop looks on helplessly. When I see him, all I can think about is the man on the ship who tried to have his way with me. My heart screams in fear and anger and... As I'm passing behind him, without really thinking about it, I stick my foot between his legs and check his shoulder hard enough to make him trip. He falls into the muck, dirtying his uniform with grass and mud. It happens so fast it takes a second for the dancer to realize the man isn't glowering over her the way he was the moment before. She opens her eyes and, seeing him on the ground, retreats back into the group of other dancers, who swallow her up. The gunslinger rolls onto his stomach and draws his gun, waving it around wildly, but by then I'm already a safe distance away, blended into the crowd gathered around the gunslinger, trying to suppress their laughter. Who the hell did that? He yells, picking himself up. Someone better say something or I'm going to start shooting. And I'm about to step out from the crowd when another gunslinger makes his way through the circle and yells, Just what the hell do you think you're doing, recruit? The man lowers his gun, clears his throat, and stammers, Sir, one of them dancers attacked me. The other man scans the crowd of dancers before saying, You're telling me that one of these skinny little things got the better of you? Is that really what you want me to put in a report? That some dancer beat you up? No, sir, I guess not. I didn't think so. Now go get yourself a coffee and sit down and watch the show. The drunken gunslinger holsters his shooter, and with a hangdog look on his face, shuffles off around the stage. The other gunslinger tips his cap to the crowd and follows after the first man. I make my way around and blend into the line of servers streaming between the serving tables and the stands. One of the servers leaves their empty tray against a seat, and I snatch it up and hold it over my head, the way I used to when collecting dirty glasses at Dimitri's. The servers with empty trays fall into a line heading towards one of the open side doors, leading into the main building, and I fall into the back of the line, all the time trying to imitate the cold and exhausted look on each of their faces. How's your night going? The girl behind me asks. 
Taking forever, I tell her, trying to sound bored. We edge closer to the entrance where a gunslinger stands posted, waving the servers in one at a time. I'm not sure what he's looking for, but I sure hope I'm not it. But when I get to the front of the line and the gunslinger peers into my face, he quickly waves me through. And then I'm inside, in a large kitchen that's so hot from the ovens working overtime that the hairs on my arms singe. Keep it moving, we're freezing out here, the girl behind me says. And then I remember where I am and hurry through the kitchen. The room is so crowded and frenzied with servers and cooks that no one notices me slip out the door. I find myself in a long hallway, lit by electric lights. I take out the itinerary that Nico left me and double check the map. The building is five stories high. Nico should be on the top floor in a room in the left wing overlooking the stage. From somewhere at the other end of the hall, a door opens and closes. Voices draw closer. I try doors until I find one that's unlocked and duck inside. The room is black. Pale gray light, the color of snow, brightens the square window on the opposite wall. I'm just thankful the room is empty. On the other side of the door, the footsteps pass. There's a sudden burst of noise when the door to the kitchen opens and silence when it closes again. I slip out of the darkened room, back into the hallway, and move as quickly and as quietly as I can up the hall, looking for stairs or an elevator. About a hundred yards away, the hall opens into a grand foyer, busy with officials and gunslingers going this way and that. And in the center, a large staircase sweeps upwards to the second floor landing. There's no guards posted that I can see, but with so many other people about, I don't see a way to get up the stairs unseen. A butler in a neat black suit and white gloves descends the stairs, turns, and makes his way in my direction towards the hall. Taking cover in a broom closet, I watch him pass by and enter another room across the way, leaving the door open behind him. Back out into the hall, I peek into the room and find that it's the servants' quarters, where butlers and maids busy about. The butler sits by the window, smoking a cigarette. Close that damned thing, one of the maids says. He looks annoyed, but he complies, throwing the butt of his cigarette into the yard before closing the window. He puts on his gloves, picks up a tray with a pot of steaming coffee and saucers and milk and sugar, and goes back out the way he came. I hug the wall and watch him go. The rest of the servants follow after him, peeling off down the many different passages, until finally the room is empty, and I head inside and lock the door behind me. The servant's room is bare bones, Several bunks stand against one side. Three lines of bells, each labeled with the name of a different room, are mounted to the wall like the heads of game animals. Every now and then one of them rings, but there's no one here but me to hear it. On the same wall beneath the bells is a small dumbwaiter. It's just big enough to fit me inside. Looking up through the narrow passage, I find a rope pulley attached to the small platform. I should be able to climb that to the top floor. The door handle wiggles, and when it doesn't open, the man on the other side bangs on the door. What's going on? Someone on the other side of the door asks. Damn thing's jammed, comes another voice. Not wasting any time, I slip into the narrow passage and shimmy up the rope, one hand over the other. 
When I hear the door break open, I stop and dig the toes of my boots into the sides of the walls to keep the rope from shaking as I climb. They're going to be pissed you broke the door, one of them says. All they care about is getting their coffee while it's still hot. Then the hatch to the dumbwaiter shunts closed and I'm plunged into darkness, relieved only by a faint square of light several floors up. The dumbwaiter opens into a large, opulent private room. Climbing out of the passage, I slump against the wall and catch my breath. Overhead, a crystal chandelier burns brightly with electric light. A neatly made four-poster bed stands like a monument to one side, and in the fireplace the logs crackle, spilling warmth into the room. Two large windows let in more light from the grounds below, where the braziers and torches burn. Down below, I spot the troop of irregulars, gathered to one side of the stage, readying to go on. I make my way across the room to the large double doors and ease them open. Outside, a long hallway, much like the one on the first floor, stretches from one wing to the other. So long I can't see the end in either direction. I check Nico's itinerary. According to the piece of paper, he should be, at this moment, only a few doors down, in another big room overlooking the festivities. My heart beats faster. On the other side of this moment, there is only regret or satisfaction. I duck out of the room and make my way quickly down the hall, checking the numbers and plates on each door as I pass until I find the right one. You! A voice calls to me from down the hall. You're not supposed to be here! A young gunslinger marches toward me, gun in hand. I'm supposed to be here. Bullshit, she says. The staff was told to restrict themselves to the first floor and the grounds. When she reaches me, she keeps the gun trained on my midsection as she goes through my pockets. What are you really doing here? I told you, I'm supposed to be here. Look. I wave my hand in front of her face so she can get a look at my tattoo. She grabs my hand and examines it. If you're a gunslinger, why are you dressed like one of the wait staff? Good question. I pull my hand away and fix her with an indignant look. That's none of your business. She looks at me like she still doesn't trust me, but at least she's pointing her gun at the floor now. I'll have to get this checked out. I shoo her with a wave of my hand. Go on then, go check it out. I reckon you should come with me. No, I reckon I'll stay right here. I shoot back. She plays with the grip of the gun and slowly raises the barrel. There's not much else for it. I'll have to take the gun from her. No way in hell I can go with her. But before I can do anything, the door opens with such a jolt that the gunslinger nearly drops her shooter. What the hell is going on out here? Nico says. The gunslinger hops to attention and salutes him. Sir, I apprehended this woman. Nico gives me a look. A look that says, I've never seen this person before and I expect the next thing out of his mouth to be an order to take me away. But instead, he stares the young gunslinger down and calmly says, This one's with me. Sir, I think that's just the problem. You're supposed to be doing your rounds, not thinking. The gunslinger grimaces, salutes, and retreats back down the hall. Nico raises his eyebrows at me and says, That was close. Losing your edge, sis. He goes back into the room, leaving the door open. I stand there in the hallway, trying to figure out what just happened. 
My fists balled with unspent anger and confusion and who knows what else. Come in if you're coming in, he calls from inside. He's trying to get me off my guard. That's what it is. I take a breath and go into the room. Closing the door behind me for how little it may muffle the sounds of what comes next. You're listening to Bullet Catcher Season 2 by Joaquin Lowe. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hello, dear stranger. I'd like to introduce you to something new. Or perhaps something very, very old. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine is a horror fantasy medical mystery following the titular monk turned traveling medical investigator. Follow Radolf as he navigates a nightmare world in which viruses are gods and the human race are not their favored children. Steeped in history and an aesthetic that can only be described as a combination of occult academia and laboratory Judaica, the heresies of Radolf Burntwine have been described as Umberto Eco meets H.P. Lovecraft. For more information, check out the Patreon at thorb.info. But take care, dear stranger, for some truths are best left unknown. Bullet Catcher is written by Joaquin Lowe, produced by Marco Palmieri, and executive produced by Molly Barton. Performed by Inez del Castillo. Audio produced, directed, and designed by Amanda Rose Smith. Additional editing by Corey Barton. Original theme composed by Hashem Asadolahi, with performances by Justin Morell and Josh Deutsch. Cover art by Christine Barcelona. <laughs>